Okay, so welcome back to the Seeker Strength Podcast. Uh, brought to you by who are we sponsored by today, Gurf? Uh, milligrams and kilograms for this episode. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. Um, yeah. So today, today's subject is going to be doping in sports. Um, and probably the morality of doping in sports rather than anything else. We're going to try and come at this with a small bit more nuance. Um, then just right or wrong or right or right. We basically will try not to take a side. Like, I think a lot of the questions around morality um, are becoming more nuanced and people are starting to understand a lot more the pressure athletes are under um, and how the t- kind of doping system works, especially in Olympic weightlifting uh, over the last, co- like the course of the last 18 months to two years with the release of some of the McLaren reports. Obviously, people aren't privy to how kind of state-sponsored doping worked or people weren't privy to it before a lot of these kind of whistleblowers came out um, before the the Invictus documentary. A lot of these things were kind of talked about behind closed doors. They weren't public, no- public knowledge. Uh, so today we're just kind of trying to delve into it and, and give a small bit more flesh out the topic really a small bit more rather than it just being doping bad anti-doping good because at the moment it seems very much along the lines of doping bad anti-doping bad I think um, I think that the current it just depends who you are and what angle you're looking at this the morality of doping like where, what side of the room are you standing and looking at this fucking structure in the middle like the the current prevailing view or the loudest view at the moment is coming from the athletes who um we are to assume they are clean which is i suppose is fair enough that we these athletes are currently and look when we come in it from their point of view right they are 100 percent correct if you are clean and other people are doping then it is cheating 100 percent. there is absolutely yeah if from that angle it's black and white without a doubt if someone you compete against can take anabolic steroids performance enhancing drugs of any form then they were 100% cheating because the rules say it is cheating. But we're not really looking to answer the question of is it cheating because it's very obvious, but we're looking to answer like morally what is, like what what are some kind of viewpoints you could get. So if you're looking at it from that point of view of that athlete who's been in a training system, you have, so you have a coach, you're a full-time athlete, you're state-sponsored, you've got everything going for you bar what your competitor has one step ahead of you they have um, performance-enhancing drugs at their disposal. Now, I think what my, not my point of view, but what a kind of a concept I've been thinking of lately around this is um, you it's you cannot really be morally righteous about not antidote, about not doping yourself, right? Is if you have only, if it's because you cannot dope. It's not because you choose not to dope. It's because you, you're you actively not able to dope, okay? So if you, unless you were presented with the choice to dope and know that you would never get caught and then you still said no, then you can be as morally righteous as you want. Like you have sure footing to stand on. But unless you're in a situation where you haven't, unless you're in a situation where you've been presented with the ability to dope and you've said no, I don't think. Yeah. You can just say that the dopers are bad, that those people are bad who do dope. 
Yeah, and I, and I don't think we've really seen... We've seen very, very few cases where that's happened, where you have somebody in... Because I just don't think those people actually exist. Like, they obviously exist, but they get weaned out at such a young age. Um, or they get weaned out before they're ever really a successful athlete. Like, where you have somebody in a country where uh, unclean sport can prevail, where, like, you get state sponsorship or you get through whatever it is um, you're able to go and dope and people actually refuse it like I know here like in Western Europe in the Western world basically Western world in inverted commas uh, anti-doping is seen to be the the white knight it's seen to be um, them versus us that all athletes are clean all athletes want to be clean uh, all athletes think sports should be clean and realistically, that's not the attitude of a lot of athletes. And I think if we take like USA weightlifting as an example, who are who kind of hold themselves as one of the cleanest organizations involved with the IWF, um, they've been paramount in the the kind of cleaning up of the IWF system. They've been very vocal in their speaking out about about uh, Thomas Ajan, which is all very very good. Uh, but they still have a huge number of athletes who get popped and test positive every year. So I think if it was the case whereby everybody in that system thought drugs bad, anti-doping good, like that very, very simplistic thing, that's that's not what the attitude is. And there are like there's a lot of people involved with that organization who are very self-righteous, who do say like, oh, it's these countries are getting the medals because they can do it. Like, I think it's very, very clear that everybody has people who want to win and who want to get medals. And even, the, like, it just really depends on where you're living, if you can get away with it or not. You know, just in case someone who's not one of our usual um, cohort of listeners or one of our um, our little herd <laughs> of um, of deer, um, you know, you might say, well, you guys just are friends with lots of people who take gear and you're obviously sympathizers here. Jesus and Christ. That's true. <laughs> It is, you know, if you're being realistic like yeah. we do. But I suppose we've been exposed to them. And um, surprisingly enough, they're not terrible people, which was, I'm sure, a shock to both of us um, <laughs> when we found that, that they took some supplements and they weren't uh, mini Hitlers running around the place snatching one <laughs> under 90 kilos. <laughs> yeah. It was, you know, it was shocking. But uh, like, I, just to get that out of the way, obviously, like that is, we are sympathetic to the type of the doper, but we'll get there in a minute. But I suppose if we just come at it from the angle of, our natural athletes you know i i 100 sympathize with them yeah that they they are in a, an untenable position like they read like for some of them let's say if you got to the top of your level right you were the elite of a natural athlete which um some of the ones shouting the loudness at the moment could justifiably say they are like we truly yeah. don't know because we've never had natural weightlifting but if we are if we are to get to their kind of if we're to get inside their head so for so if I come at it on like my angle, say I came like twenty fifth out of twenty seven at European seniors or something, or like twenty third out of twenty seven. Like for me, I wasn't even mad that everyone that the top ten, top fifteen were on gear. Yeah. Because from my point of view, right, it was even if I took gear, I was just a, a student work studying full time. I had a lot of other things in my life to do. If I took gear, would have I've gotten to the top level? I think the person who won my weight class did like. um like 180 to 25 or something yeah like 
Doesn't matter how much gear I was taking in that year. Like I was training for three and a half years at that stage, four years, three and a half years. Yeah. Like doesn't matter how much gear I was taking. I wasn't going to win that competition still, you know. Yeah. Like yeah, there yeah, wasn't yeah. the doping was one of the many advantages they had over me like that. It was irrelevant to the situation, you know. But then if you were to say, let's say you you 10 years down the line, let's say you started weightlifting when you were 12 or something and you got to the Europeans at 25 or you got to the Pan Ams or whatever your regional event is, you know, where you very could have a chance. You It seems likely that you are within the top 20%. Yeah. You know, if you have that full-time training system and you have a good coach and you've shown that you have elite genetics and then you are justifiably, I think, you know, you, you know there is a good chance and you have, I think, legitimate weight behind your words to say that if you took gear, you could potentially be winning, you know? Yeah. Or if they weren't taking gear, you could be in that mix, you know? Yeah. Which is, um, they're, like, you've got to get, like, credit where it's due. Like, that is really, that is such a, a shitty situation. But then I suppose, at the same time, you know, we do talk about being humble and stuff. And we mentioned, like, when you go compete in your first party competition, to be humble. Yeah. So, you need, you need to be you're you have to speak out of course and it is your right as an athlete to speak out especially as a clean athlete and you're right in your position to say that it is unfair yeah but you have to present yourself in such a way that it's not a, a not a cry baby and like i know it sounds kind of harsh but i suppose it is our podcast so we can say what we want. but you know you need to present yourself in a way where it doesn't annoy people like present yourself in a way that and for yourself as an athlete i think it's important yeah. to to not feel like they're they're winning because they're on gear you know you you shouldn't in my head when i was competing it didn't matter to me i think that was one of the reasons it bothered me because in my head i was like i was going to train as hard as i could be as good as i could be you know yeah like it's just for those athletes like i think it's a better scenario where you don't you don't let it be a crutch like but then obviously it's important to talk about it yeah i think so if we were to look at sports broadly right if we're not Mm -hmm. looking at the iwf and the current situation with weightlifting which has its own kind of nuances built in like if you look at just olympic sport in general uh it it's very very hard for those athletes who are like there's some irish athletes who got their medal three years later because a retroactive retroactive test popped the silver medalist so the bronze medalist got silver then the person who came fourth got bronze then the person who got bronze got popped. Like, you know, there's these multiple cascades of retests and tests. Um, and I think it like it's very difficult for those people, right? Because they're training their entire lives to go and achieve something. And then it comes out years later that they didn't get to, like they put in their best performance on the day and they didn't get to win or medal or stand on that podium at the day because there was X amount of people in front of them who were doping. That's very, very difficult, right? If you've got youth athletes or uh, kind of young adult athletes who are looking for professional contracts in sport, they're looking to make their career in that sport uh, and they don't get a contract and the person who gets the contract is found out to be doping later or is known to be doping, that's obviously a very, very difficult situation as well. So you've got somebody who might have been in an academy setup, they might have been on a a contract for a certain length of time and then a different player comes in and that player is faster, stronger, more skillful, less likely to get an injury or has less injuries built up over the years. Like, that's another incredibly difficult situation to deal with. Um, And then, so like, there's a huge amount of different situations that 
make athletes feel really, really shitty, make clean athletes feel really, really shitty, um, and obviously affect their long-term career paths and long-term ability to like achieve maximally in their sport. Um, but that is outside of the like the whole situation with the IWF. I think is very, very different, and the whole situation and the way that anti-doping was being used as a a pit bull to get to push people back into a corner and being used as a, a blackmailing tool. I think it's it's very, very important to see the difference here and to understand that the the outcry at the moment and the the outrage that's there at the moment should be directed at the use of anti-doping as this kind of blackmailing tool, the use of it as a way of collecting capital and a way of restricting certain countries from winning medals and allowing and enabling other countries to win medals. Like, I think that's what the real... Like, we can talk about doping until the cows come home, right? And we can talk about the 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 unfairness of it. We can talk about the issues of, with safety and the issues with health. We can talk about all these different things, but I think the thing that's really, really timely and apt to speak about at the moment is the use of the IWF as the, the pit bull of the people who are trying to make as much money as possible, like Tomas Ejan and his cronies. Um, for those of you who didn't listen to the podcast with Seb last week, like we made a bit of a comparison or an analogy about this whole situation of, um, like if we take weightlifting, uh, just the Olympics or winning a medal at weightlifting is like going to an island. Like to get to the island, you have to have a ticket on the plane. Um, and basically the IWF, uh, the, through the people involved in it, were able to provide tickets onto the plane in the same way they were able to provide uh, a way of passing doping tests. It just so happens that with the the environment we're in with weightlifting at the moment, the only way you will be getting to the Olympics or getting to the A group in a serious international competition is through doping, or at least to be getting in the top 50% of that A group. So, like, the real... The real travesty here at the moment is the use of anti-doping or like the kind of real moral issue at the moment, for me anyway, is the use of anti-doping as this kind of way of collecting capital and this way of collecting revenue and and suppressing certain countries, suppressing certain athletes, uh, basically through racketeering. That raises a good point of, um, you know, through all sports in terms of the morality doping that opportunities missed or the opportunities that could have been had everyone been playing fair or everyone everybody doping or nobody doping if everyone is doing the same thing you know the the contracts you could have made um yeah uh the uh i was going to say the uh, Munster provincial but uh there's no doping rugby but um <laughs> <laughs> the uh you know those are that um the nba league you could have made or the nfl or yeah. name any hundreds of pro sport leagues that you could have been in and leagues you could have won and championships you could have won and sponsorship you could have signed and the financial, the difference in financial support you might have received for your career and new heights you might have achieved like they are. The amount that of no-go sponsorships you could have gotten. The, the no-go sponsorships, the uh, the Sony headphone sponsorships, <laughs> you know, like those, all those opportunities that are missed for, an, for a natural athlete and someone who was never able to dope or did not dope for their whole career, you know, that is... Um, because that is life changing in terms of the course of where you're going, you know, that um, 
you could have set yourself up for life. Like if you, in terms of the order of magnitude of money in sports, obviously from we're looking at like badminton and weightlifting at the bottom. But if you're the elite of the elite sports, you know, if you're someone in China, if you win a gold medal for weightlifting or Kazakhstan or whatever, like you know, you're literally set for life. Like the money available to you, the opportunities, the it's like playing for County Ga in Ireland. Like you know, you're you could be running an ice skating rink in Kazakhstan. Yeah, they they give you the command of a hockey team, you know, in a regional. Like the the opportunities open to you is, I think, is one of the most tragic things for me in anti-doping. Not so much winning championships and Olympics and and stuff like that. Of course, they are on a footing, but the the life opportunities you didn't have a fair shot at getting, I think, is one of the most kind of criminal opportunities that you miss out on when you are a clean athlete competing against doped athletes. Mm. Um, I think that is for me is one of the more tragic ones because they could be you know their whole life encompassing they're not just one event not just a sporting event not just one lift or one europeans like they are god only knows where they're going you know yeah yeah i think like the other thing that like upsets me is such a strong word but the other thing that kind of irks me is when we like when we coach younger athletes and we Mm. talk to younger athletes and you have this like everybody has their fucking heroes you know um and they have these things of like like we all have numbers we want to hit we all have places we want to go we all have like the things we want to achieve with this sport and that holds true for nobody more so than a young athlete coming up through the sport like we've all coached them we've all been there when they're talking about like she's my favorite lifter or he's my favorite lifter and geez i hope i can do this someday and the reality is if if they're competing in weightlifting currently and they have some role models the vast majority of role models they have unless they're domestic role models like in the in their country and they're in a clean country clean country and in inverted commas like the the vast majority of famous weightlifters at the moment barring less than five percent i would say um are doping or have doped at some stage in the past like when i say famous i'm, I'm talking about the people who are actually winning olympic medals uh, and that does irk me slightly. It irks me hugely when you have young athletes; they're not going to be doping. Like Jesus Christ, you'd fucking hope they never do. Um, they're not going to be going to these places. They're not going to be snatching two hundred kilos unless the fucking planets align and gravity turns off slightly for a second. But like, it is. Uh, it is very very. Like it's obviously not upsetting for them, but they have to realize that there are certain limits, and and like you can't have that conversation with a twelve-year-old. You can't have that conversation even with a thirteen or fourteen-year-old. And then there comes the point where that conversation kind of has to happen, where it's like, look, whoever it is, like Lu Ping, probably doesn't get that from her Weetabix in the morning. You know, like she's probably not front squatting two hundred kilos. Well, um, maybe in China, you never know. Like. <laughs> Yes. They could be cleaning their Weetabix. Special Weetabix. But, you know, it, it like that is very, very difficult, you know, and that's yeah. uh, in terms of role models and, and who athletes should be following and who athletes should be kind of basing themselves or sculpting themselves around. Um, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be sculpting themselves around the habits of, of certain athletes who may be convicted of doping or they might have a doping ban. Uh, they might be great fucking athletes. They might be great people. They might teach them how to train really well. But there's always that asterisk next to their name. You know, it's um, 
that kind of raises the point of well actually raises two points but one of them is kind of the assumption and like we said that someone if they dope is a piece of shit or someone who doesn't dope and who does not dope is uh, an absolute outrageous morally or like morally hero of the community. outrageous outrageous person um uprighteous person you know who you know who's an angel in all aspects of their career or in their life and like they're you know mary Teresa's or whatever i think she's kind of fallen out of favor now has she apparently she was a piece apparently she's a piece of shit fuck um, off how yeah uh, i don't know she can like i don't know apparently her like hospitals and stuff aren't great but that's it's not really the place Christ. for this oh, is it? The mighty that's for a very interesting youtube channel you can list it while you're eating dinner you know and they tell you about the real facts about it but uh you know that's <laughs> like you know to make the assumption that because someone dopes or because someone doesn't dope or cheat in competition it means yeah. they are a terrible person you know like there is infinite shades of grays in people's character but the the other point i really want to talk about and i think this is the worst thing about doping this is hands down i think the most criminal thing about doping is of youths so as you're talking about you know role models and not only youths but specifically uh young females where there is mm. truly all life-altering detrimental consequences and it's almost certainly they are not privy to the decision like they are not really they couldn't possibly a 14 year old girl couldn't possibly understand the weight of the decision they're making like they have no idea yeah and that is like that is very much the nature of how doping happens in these in a lot of these countries like uh it's it's not something where like the athlete orders something online or goes to their doctor and gets something like that's that's not how it happens in the vast majority of these countries it's it's very much system led um their doctor is prescribing this because their doctor works with whoever it is within the organization there there's absolutely no way a 14 year old is being told what they're taking um they'll obviously mm-hmm. take it because they'll obviously it's the same way they'll obviously do the squats they're told to do when they're training um and there is like as Garth mentioned there are serious life altering effects from this you know it's not it's not like the bro who goes to the gym and wants to bench fucking 160 or whatever you know it's and takes arms all year round yeah like it these are huge huge decisions um which are being taken completely out of their own hands like it is it's very much a form of abuse yeah like of of all the aspects of the negative aspects of doping i think in sports like that truly is the most um that is really criminal like i don't think there's any there's no scenario i think where you could look at that and be like well because of this you know it's not so bad like i just can't imagine a scenario no. where, where where that is okay you know to do that like then that was one of the issues with egypt was they had multiple um like- early teenage females who had um tested positive for some uh anabolics yeah you know it's it's it really is reprehensible and they were trying to say that you know they should be banned he have never tested positive they should let him compete but you're like how could you possibly let a country yeah who does that compete you know there's one thing as you say like like adult males or adult females who are fully privy to the decisions and what they're taking and what might happen if they do take it then you're like okay then it's that's a different kind of situation you know that's fully an independent decision like you're a sovereign person and you can make your own choices but you know young teenage uh females especially is is uh is truly criminal like i know if you look at like illy alien and we've talked about this with seb he mentioned a bit where they were kind of um he's almost a a drug addict per se where like he needs to take an injection from painkillers because it it has a better psychological effect on him yeah that um yeah and look i think that like 
that's where um I think that's like, where the would, conversation kind of breaks down to a certain extent, Joe, because But would he be what I would like what I, would he be that same scenario if he'd started later in his years where he was fully conscious? Yeah. Or if it was incorporated as he was developing, like would he be that same person now like It's very, very unlikely. Like it it's very unlikely that he'd develop the same dependencies. Obviously you, you can't say that. Like we've no mm-hmm. idea. Um but it like that's incredibly unhealthy. Like this, what I was saying there is like this is where the conversation breaks down um, in terms of morals, you know, because everybody sees this as wrong, right? Everybody sees that uh, forced doping of an underage athlete is, is very wrong. Most people can kind of accept that if somebody's an adult and they make the decision themselves and they're being intelligent about it, that Ara fucking leave them off. And this is where the conversation tends to stop. You tend to have this thing of like, oh, they should just have the doped Olympics and we'll just have a dirty Olympics. People would sprint the 100 meters in six seconds. Um, like, you have to accept Which firstly... That's the normal Olympics. <laughs> that's, that's what I was about to say. You have to accept firstly that um, the normal Olympics is a heavily, heavily doped event in almost all sporting aspects. Um, but this is the reason you can't have an untested Olympics. The testing, see, like, the series of testing uh, protocols we have now is flawed it's obviously flawed because people still get away with it um, and because people are still getting popped it's flawed but we have to have something here we can't let countries just have a free reign and get fucking eight year olds in and give eight like bring eight year olds through puberty seven years early or whatever you know like you can't allow these things to happen and that's why you have to have some semblance of anti-doping. It just so happens that we haven't perfected that yet. Uh, sort of like, if you were to follow that path where it's kind of where it goes, if you're to look at Wigand, what if we let everyone dope? And um, if we're to let all adults dope, so let's say we had a magic system for ensuring no under 18-year-old or under 20-year-old was was ever doped and anyone beyond that then was was fully conscious of what they were taking and there was no limits to what you could take like Broderick brought up the point when if you were to so the main reason right they say anti-doping is the thing right is to protect the athlete's health which um this is kind of the morality of anti-doping too but i think it ties nicely into the subject but it as so as things stand right now if you were to test the vast majority say a blood test and look at uh typical biomarkers that someone might get when they get a blood sample from their gp the vast majority of them would be in absolutely if you had a blind test you know if you were just looking at them on paper you're almost certainly going to see athletes who look phenomenal just see people who are phenomenally healthy you'd see yeah. you'd assume like if you took their blood pressure red blood cell count all that kind of crack like their liver enzymes you know cholesterol all of the generic kind of markers of what health might be deemed as you would see that they are almost without fail in perfect condition like like typical generic Stallions. healthy markers so so then you you can make the argument and i think it's a it is somewhat a valid argument because of what happens is um because of anti-doping athletes currently must take drugs that are untried uh, untested long-term effects are not established so like uh project mentioned the drugs they select are often preclinical trials or they may only make one or two trials before they have issues and then people will use those um, as a form of 
of circumventing the testing because there's no test for those and they're even though they're untried they still have positive effects but the long-term effects then of those would be um heavily uh what you call it kind of would be totally unknown you know but then there's an argument that if anti-doping had never been a thing like if people had never been if doping was never banned performance enhancing drugs you could argue that in the last 40 years there could have been an ex like um a huge leap forward in the like the quality of performance enhancing drugs or and what their effects would be and the limit of side effects would be massively eliminated you know and like could that area then of anti-doping be eliminated that would it really affect our health if we had drugs that were um vastly superior to what was created back 40 50 years ago yeah like the example broderick gave um if you haven't got to listen to that podcast go and listen to it but it, the example broderick gave was um so like performance enhancing drugs a lot of the time are are some form of sex hormone uh and what like the increase or the the improvements that have been made in like contraceptive uh contraceptive health the improvements that have been made there since the 80s are absolutely gigantic and what he was saying is like basically if you had had the same improvement or the same progress made with performance enhancing drugs you're probably going to have a product now um that would be a hell of a lot healthier i think in terms like if we were to go back to the morals of this again right um and i think to bring it home bring it back into people's like actual sphere that they're seeing like you just have to think about kind of domestic sport and in ireland our domestic sport is ga hurling we have a lot of rugby and we have a lot of soccer as well i think people always seem to think because it's just with like if you look in our sphere right and somebody is doping somebody has gone out on their own they've procured something or they've procured something with the help of somebody else they've doped and they've gotten a clear advantage over other people doping over here is incredibly easy to have morals about it's you don't really need that much nuance like there's the odd person who's in a hard situation and they might be relying on sport for money or they might be relying on it for whatever it is and they need to ensure they get a new contract they need to ensure they get a new deal um and they go they procure something to make sure they stay as a carded athlete that's very very simple for us to to get our heads around um but the the kind of nuance of the situation whereby you have people whose entire families are relying on them you also have the fact that countries like the state-sponsored countries right and when i say this i'm talking about uh like all the ex-ussr countries you're talking russia china thailand like a lot of southeast asian countries you're obviously talking like you know you you know the countries we're talking about um the they're all told that every other country is doping like the story we heard about uh about Ilya in Kazakhstan is like he just he thought every single American athlete he ever came against was doping as well like that's just what they're taught and they're, it's not that they're being taught that facetiously by some evil coach who's running the whole system some like Vladimir Putin-esque person who writes their training blocks like they just assume because they're doing it everybody else is doing it as well and that they're somehow vastly superior to the people they're going up against like it's it's not like they're not the person going getting fucking tren 
and running it for four weeks before rugby season and then going out onto the pitch like a rhino. Like, they literally have no idea it's in any way unfair. Like, the assumption, you know, I suppose the kind of default assumption then on elite sports and whatever is that that they are health and fitness, you know, they are, you're going to the gym four or five times a week to stay healthy. You know, these athletes are training between six, seven, nine, 14 times a week, 15 times a week. Yeah. You know, they're putting their bodies through incredible training loads to achieve medals, world record performances, maximal performance that they could possibly achieve. And oftentimes they soft tissue injuries, ligament injuries, joint injuries, you know, these all massively accrue over the course of a training career. There's an angle then where you could come at it that the use of performance enhancing drugs would massively reduce the pain these athletes go through, the physical pain, like the number of surgeries they may have to experience, the like the pain they will feel every day throughout their life, and more importantly, the pain they might feel for the rest of their life once their, their career ceases and they, they're finished performing and training as hard as they can. You know, there's an argument that allowing them to do that would be um, would make them healthier people or make their experience as a full-time athlete more pleasant than it would be otherwise. And then you might ask, well, what if someone doesn't want to take performance-enhancing drugs because they want to stay healthier, you know? And I feel like my my just my personal opinion on that is, well, sport is ultimately about winning. Yeah. That, and that's kind of I know that sounds kind of harsh on them and it sounds like you're kind of brushing away their their kind of desires but ultimately that's that is what elite sport is it's not it isn't Tom and Mary going playing everyone doesn't get to go to the Olympics for a reason like it is for the creme de la creme like it is the yeah. best of the best go to the Olympics and so w- what someone doesn't want to do and what someone isn't willing to sacrifice is ultimately like it does that weigh up against the fact that you're going there to win, you know, you're like you're not going there to the cliche we say, you know, beating yourself or whatever. Like that's not what's happening. And no. anyone fooling anyone who tells himself is, is just completely fooling themselves. If you think that's the purpose, it's everyone. It's the, not the friendship games. Like it's the, it's a replacement for a war. Like, you know, they're going there <laughs> the to win medals. Like, they're, yeah, like the, you know, Lou's not going up there to um, make friends with the Americans. Like he's no. going up there to show the China make the strongest, fastest athletes. Like, you know, Russia... Or showing dominance like we saw in like uh, Icarus that yeah. Russian uh, Putin's rating when they're winning the Olympic Games went massively up after that and then he subsequently invaded Crimea like you yeah. know there's just assume it's just that it's uh it's not it's sport for sport's sake like no no it's not the health and fitness no. games like you know it's not like get your average heart rate down Even and bring your BMI into place games it's not, isn't the health and fitness games like no it's not it's <laughs> like the more like you are there to win, yeah. you know, and you can't get away from that. And it, it, it's it's belittling them, and it's totally deriding what's actually happening. If you like that same kind of ferocity is in every young athlete who wants to win, you know, they're going to their local county championship or their their local state games or their local national champion or their like county championships or whatever. You know that yeah, that's the same ferocity driving them all the way. But it's just different genetics and different athletes at that. You know, absolutely, yeah. So I think you know if you are. It, it, the argument that well what if someone doesn't want to take gear but still wants to compete <laughs> I, I honestly feel like from my point of view this <laughs> stuff titties like because there's yeah. so much else that everyone else is sacrificing like not everyone gets to go there so I don't really feel like that's a valid argument because that's not what it is like you know it really isn't mm. who are the healthiest athletes we can send to the games you know do, does do you, 
think Kip- Kipchoge, you know, the like the middle age marathon syndrome where they die earlier. Like I know he's not in that bracket, but like that's not healthy. Like he, no, he's. I think he the, looks like the other thing that comes into to health a lot of the time as well. Like so, there's two points I want to make on this, right? And and the I'll, I'll probably talk about the pain one last because I think it's a bit longer, but. The health thing and the like health implications of elite sport, the thing people never ever speak about is psychological health. And it's like something a lot more athletes have spoken out about in the last even 12 months. Um, but athletes who perform at incredibly high levels, having chronic levels of anxiety, uh, having clinical depression is not like it's in no way correlative to the normal populations. Like the amount of mental health issues you see in uh, high performance athletes is absolutely huge because they live in an arena of pressure. They live in a place where the consequences are so utterly high and they're the only person that it relies on. So I think the thing about pain and the thing about an athlete doing something to put themselves at risk for the vast, for any elite athlete I've ever met or, or kind of spent time around would not come into their brain at all and it's it's not a thing of like oh they're crazy you don't pay attention to them it's just the psyche of of elite athletes is that they put themselves through a huge amount of pain upset and turmoil to do the things they do um an interesting thing actually which came from the when we're talking to project was we're talking about lance armstrong and cycling and another like a kind of derivative effect of uh, them taking certain substances is that pain tolerance goes through the roof so they're taking an anabolic compound like they're taking testosterone lanthate which you'd usually see for like muscle building um, things you wouldn't consider to be important for cycling but they're taking it mainly just to increase their pain tolerance so when we see things that will alter people's ability to inflict pain on others so you can get people who are bigger stronger faster hit harder uh punch for longer and you combine that with with an alteration in pain tolerance then it like when you bring that into combat sports or contact sports where you if it's american football and you people running at people giving each other concussions if you apply that to boxing mma kickboxing brazilian jiu-jitsu like if you apply that to anything where you're hurting somebody else so you can hurt them more and you feel less hurt. Like, that's a completely different arena for me, morally, um, than it is for you saying to be sprinting 0.3 of a second faster than somebody else or 0.003 of a second. Like, I, it's just my brain, the way whatever has altered me to think like that, I think that is so much more cheating or it's so much more facetious than people lifting more weight or sprinting faster or jumping higher. Yeah, like if if you are in a combat sports where you could potentially hurt someone, and you know they're not taking some kind of peds, and you are, I think you're a piece of shit. I think it's just yeah. criminal. You know, like you are, it's just so beyond the realms of I think anyone would agree with that. You know, especially in something like MMA or where you're physically like the entire point of the match. So maybe you could argue like in in NFL or something like that or or rugby where you could be saying. Well, the purpose isn't to hit them; it's just a product of the game. But if you're looking at something like boxing or you know MMA or something like that or judo, where you could physically end someone's career or just you know really mess up their life long run, I think that is something that's just um, that's truly reprehensible. I don't think there's yeah. any 
I can see an argument where you would say that uh, that could be okay. You know, I can't see where someone could come at that. No, and like, it just so happens that probably one of the most violent uh, organized sports in the world, UFC, has a huge amount of doping in its history. And it also has a huge amount of, in inverted commas, legal doping in its history as well with uh, like wide scale use of testosterone through TUI. So therapeutic use exemptions for testosterone were handed out like hotcakes uh, in the UFC in the early days. They've kind of clamped down on it now. And, and I think to be fair to the UFC, um, they've done a huge amount. So they've brought USADA on board as their testing organization, which no other large-scale sporting organization in the US has done. So the NFL, the NBA, any of their large sports hasn't done it. Um, so they've brought on legitimate testing and you, like you see a lot of people getting popped. But... I think it's an absolutely brilliant move from the UFC. You know, as well, people may... So, we listen to athletes, you know, and they, when clean athletes complain that other people are doping. And you agree with them. But then if you look at what drives sport and what makes sport go around is, is viewership, you know, and watching... People want to watch it. And people want to see it. And um, as we said before, it's not the health and fitness game. It's the, the best of the best yeah. to beat everyone else games. You know, they're not the same thing. And people want to see the greatest, the fastest man. They want to see Eddie Hall pull 501 or yeah. tour pull 501 or whatever. They want to see Illy Alien clean and jerk 250. You know, we like nobody wants people to facilitate see an A group in the Olympics snatching 160. Yeah, I just don't look, <laughs> Do you know, like it, they just don't a, like, like, unless it's a 40 kilo woman. And like, you, you can't really ever go back, I don't think. You, you could have enjoyable competitions with natural lifters, of course, or natural athletes, or but it, for just from a purely viewership point of view, you know, if it seems like you could run that fast, you probably don't want to be watching it, you know. Yeah, if you're like, I could probably deadlift 250, you know, you don't yeah, want to be watching yeah, that, like, you don't yeah. want to a four hour marathon, yeah, I could do that, you know, you don't <laughs> want to see shit like that. I'm not saying that's what elite athletes would do, but um, you know, that part of what makes it go around is the viewers you know people who feel but i feel like the general public just assume everyone's on on put heads now across all sports No, to be honest i think it's it's too far in the other direction i think the general so? public assume everybody is clean unless they're russian or chinese and i think that's one of the biggest pitfalls people have when they watch sport is they assume the sport is clean um well like the chinese are cybernetic cybernetic organisms <laughs> they don't dope they just manufacture them but can you like factory i cannot think of of high level elite sport or like a, a sport that doping isn't rife in. Can you like can do you, do you know of any um did that lad in chess get caught for a testosterone <laughs> growth hormone? The guy who won the bridge so bridge like the card game and uh, the guy who won the bridge world cup or whatever it was in two thousand nineteen was caught doping um with testosterone and growth hormone. Uh and it like it seems quite strange because when you hear that it's like oh he was probably taking it because he's just on TRT or whatever for like so he'll look and feel better uh, but then when you start looking at testosterone and its effect on memory uh, recall ability to learn things uh, he was probably taking it for performance enhancement yeah like if you genuinely now if you're listening to this and you think you know of a sport that's clean? Tell us, because I like I genuinely don't know of any that's fully clean. 
like GAA in Ireland isn't fully clean and that's relatively clean like that's probably about as clean as sport gets you know but it's it's by no means clean and it's by no means hard for people to get away with doping in it like the doping test is basically an intelligence test and if you get caught you've done something really stupid it's a funny situation isn't it yeah when you think about doping athletes are just putting in more of what's already in their body in some cases or a slightly altered form you know they're not um putting magnets putting magnets in their shoes or something yeah. or like that's you know they're not like in the same way that i think like taking hormones when you're fighting and hitting people is worse than when you're sprinting or jumping or whatever i also mm-hmm. think that technological doping is in some way so much more cheating than hormonal doping you know like mm-hmm. I, and i don't know why like somebody having a little motor in their bike or somebody having a like the shaft of their pole vault changed in some way like i just see that as so much more festitious when realistic a, a motor in their shaft as well <laughs> hey. you know that actually that brought up a point that oh, I, we can't believe we totally forgot to bring up and um fuck yeah so like when you it, the assumption that the, are it so genetics are by definition, you know, I'm I'm not going to be able to go and win uh, in the NBA, probably. No. Or I'm not going to be able to, I'm um, fucking, what other sport is extreme kind of like genetic, obvious. Swimming. I'm not swimming. I'm not going to, I don't have web feet or toes or hands. I Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not 6'4", like, you know, my wingspan isn't down to my knees. You know, there's so many different sports that I would never, ever, ever, ever be able to win in realistically against the elite. You know, genetics themselves... Sport is massively unfair for a host of reasons. You know, for financial reasons from the sport of your country, if you're looking at, like, non-professional sport, if you're looking at Olympic sports, the genetics you're given, like your anatomy, your faster fiber makeup, how your brain operates, how your neurons fire, like, faster than yeah. someone else's, um, how you're born, your mindset, what kind of environment you're raised in. Yeah. There's hundreds of different factors that go into elite sports and... There's an argument to be made that letting other athletes dope would level the playing field more. Yeah. but Because it, you could out-train your shit genetics somewhat, but you can't make strawberry jam out of dog shit. Yeah, look, I don't... Everything about it is unfair, and that's why sport is sport, and that's why it's great. You know, it's like... Yeah. You, like, it's seeing the two best people in the schoolyard kick the shit out of each other. That's mm-hmm. That's why it's great. Like, you know, you want to see the best of the best going against each other and like that's why i kind of wanted to do the morality thing today you know it it's not that simple and in weightlifting in particular and i know a lot of you listening will have some skin in the game for weightlifting you might train weightlifting yourself or you train in a gym or you know the lifts you've seen people lifting um and when we talk about doping and and the current scandal with doping and in weightlifting it it isn't that simple you know it's people are being persecuted on both sides of the line so the the athletes in in the developed world who can't get away with it are being heavily persecuted because they can't go and achieve what they what they're not entitled to but what they should at least be able to compete for um and then you have athletes in countries that can dope who can go and compete but they're being screwed and blackmailed behind the scenes. I'll tell you why I think doping will never ever be gone, no matter how good 
doping testing gets. It's because you've opened Pandora's box now. I don't. It can never go away. Yeah. Like if we take just weightlifting or just sprinting, now do we know how fast someone can run without mechanical advantage, like without an actual, just with their their body? You you just can never. Because some other psychopath, some little psychopath when they're 10 years old will be seeing that and they'll be like, so so no one's ran that fast anymore or no one's snatched 222 or yeah. no one's snatched more than 215. And like, Lasha Talakatsi was that little psychopath yeah. like at home. He say, Whether he knew it or not, like that was in his brain that he was going to come and destroy those world records. And he, he, like it, the four minute mile was a, a mental boundary. Like suddenly human evolution didn't jump forward in a year. Yeah. So like the first year... So like 10,000 people have done it now or something crazy officially or mm. something insane like that and like no one did it until what was his name? Oh, who was Sir in that? Roger Bannister. So he did the four minute mile and then was it like five people the next year did it or two people yeah. or three people? You know, it's psychological barriers once broken never become unbroken and someone's going to wonder why those little psychopaths are going to look at that and think I'm going to break that. Why aren't we doing that? Why is why have we just assumed yeah. so why are we going back to 170 kilo snatches for super heavies, you know? Yeah. Like that's not going to happen. Things will never regress. It's it's no, like it's like the data protection stuff with big tech companies. Like mm-hmm. I, I think you you watched the social dilemma as well, didn't you? And there's No, like, I haven't seen it yet. Oh yeah, it's worth watching, but uh it's funny because like the the people who are speaking out like the whistleblowers and it's it's outrageous like when you see what's going on uh but the whistleblowers are like oh we need to strip it back but it it's very funny that only a couple of them like only a few of these whistleblowers are are being realistic and saying like look it can't go back people won't go back people won't go back to not having one click pay on amazon they won't go back to not having like siri how do i change the wheel of my car you know and like doping is very much along the same lines we need to make it as we need to make sport as safe and as clean as possible but everybody thinking that you just put more money into Tawada or money into UCADA or whichever organization you want to put here or that the IOC is going to clean everything up that's realistically that's not it that's not what's going to happen because the IOC make money from selling TV rights and as Garf said Nobody wants to see fucking whoever it is run eleven fifty sprints. That actually raises a point as well that I think about sometimes is that the money used in anti-doping, public funds that are used in anti-doping that are donated every year to national agencies for ultimately people running down a track or, you know, criminal investigations into people doping like there was in Australia recently, like raiding someone's house. Like, I'm sorry now, but that criminality of if you look at that much money and the yeah. amount of problems currently in the world and giving that much money to organizations to test what in someone's piss is our blood is fucking outrageous when you think about it if you just look at it in isolation it, it honestly is that is criminal like the donations hundreds of millions every year in anti-doping i on like that is to me sometimes that is just when you if you think about it in kind of just purely monetary funds like the the better the benefit to mankind that money could probably do to individuals would be yeah like changing it is it's um like like Broderick's point and it being a bureaucracy to keep a bureaucracy going is uh is funny yeah and I agree in some sense and I know he's been kind of facetious Jesus facetious la 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 Pacific you know he's been <laughs> ah. like I know his point of view is heavily in favor of his point of view you know yeah obviously. But, He's a doping it's, consultant. 
<laughs> what a title uh, we'll definitely have project back on as well by the way we'll, yeah. i think we'll um i think we should do a q a episode for people um we'll give them the option and we'll vet it we'll take a few questions and give them to them don't because the but, freaks um, who listen to this will just want to know how many sarms to take obviously we're not going to ask him and he won't tell you well actually you might ask him one because i'll make him mad and it's good answers but you know that, that that money that's given to doping like is could be used and like you know money when charities get like 20 grand they're you know they're over the moon like some for some charities so if you look at the um, hundreds of millions every year yeah. like that's i went like how much is spent on anti-doping that won't be on google Everything's on Google if you know where to look. I'll check DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo. Um, the anti-doping system under the guidance of WADA cost $228 million per year. Mostly to cover the performance of the cost of performing about 270,000 tests. That's a fucking lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening, folks. Um, we hope this has great. been educational. If it enraged you in any way, please don't tell us. Um, if you like the podcast, just as a as a whole, if you listen to the podcast routinely, could you please go follow us on Spotify? Because we're nearly at a thousand followers on Spotify. So a lot of you listen to Spotify, but you don't follow us. So you just press that green follow button. And if you listen on iTunes, can you give us a review and press the five star rating if you think it's five star? Yeah. Please and thank if you. you. If it's a negative review, don't bother really. Yeah, don't bother, please. Um, but if it's um, we're currently at a four and a half. No, no, we're actually a five star rating on iTunes. I think. Are we? Yeah, we so got one four star rating ages ago. Yeah, that was because of the vegan thing, though. Oh, it was because of the vegan thing. That was about a year ago. Yeah. Uh, so if you are if you are listening um on iTunes, please leave us a review and a star rating. And if you're on Spotify, just a little follow. Poodles would do. I'd like to get it to a thousand. We're nearly there. I think we're like nine fifty or something. Nice. Nice. The podcast is. We're not too far off quarter million downloads, listens, or whatever. Yeah, which is not bad. Yeah, a million would be nice. We'll have That'll a million. Be, we'll get to half a million first. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you.